The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. So when you say then you're kind of detached emotionally from your blood sugar in a sense, which is an incredible thing to be able to do because I think anybody living with type 1 diabetes just instantly understands the frustration around going low when they don't want to go low and going high when they don't want to go high. Yeah. How that feels mentally and ultimately how that feels physically too. So let's say, for example, you are in range all day or you've been in range for three days straight. You feel amazing. You feel as you should feel. And you spike up to 15 or 16 without expecting it. Like, what are you saying to yourself in that moment to not be annoyed by it? Don't know what. In that instance, I I would have to lean into the fact that I've just spent a whole day or a whole three days in range. We are a human being acting as an organ. Of course, that spike is coming at some point or that hypo is coming at some point. So my first thought will always go to that was a really good run (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then next thing is okay I'm high I need to bring myself back down what do I need to do where have I gone wrong and then just move through it like that even laugh like it's not the end of the world you are going to experience these things and the more at peace and the more accepting that you become become of highs and lows, the less frustrating they're going to be. And I think every diabetic will have either, they'll prefer to swing one way or the other. Some people would rather be high. Some people would rather be low. You need to work on your response to the one that you feel more afraid of. For me, that's always been highs. So I have to kind of train myself to unlearn what those first feelings are when you see that number and challenge it every time it happens. Okay, I'm high, I'm annoyed. 
why am I annoyed? Well, it's obvious why it's annoying. But if you can challenge yourself every time and try and break out of that thought process, if you do that enough times, your new natural instinct will just become, okay, I need to sort it out rather than like, oh, for God's sake, I've got to sort out how I feel like shit. And then you get yourself all wrapped up. Um, So if you can just focus more on the numbers I always just try and look at any numbers in my life as data that I can use towards my management whether it's hours slept steps taken minimals units of insulin like all of those things I just try and look at it as units of measurement that will help me rather than units of measurements that I have to keep a note of and it's annoying because I'm diabetic it's almost just changing you're reframing how you view the the different things that you experience in the day. It's unrealistic to think that you're not going to spike or you're not going to hypo. And if you set yourself to that standard, it is just going to be more and more and more annoying. It's allowing yourself to have those fluctuations as well, I think. Hmm. I think over the last, coming up on 11 years that I've been diagnosed yeah. and I've had, probably thousands of conversations um with with other people living with type 1 diabetes and i've kind of come to the conclusion that the thing that we have control over changing that ultimately has the biggest impact on us day to day is changing our perspective of our diabetes yeah a thousand percent a thousand percent doesn't have to just be our perspective of our overall condition and our perspective for 20, 30, 40 years down the line. It can simply be change your perspective on how you react to highs or lows. Yeah. Because what you've just outlined, essentially you have control over how you're reacting to your highs and your lows. Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of the time, and again, even from my own perspective, a lot of the time, highs annoy me because of what I associate with those highs yeah and it's like I've gone high because I haven't done this or I'm a bad diabetic or uh, why do I have to do this and other people around me don't have to do it or I'm I'm high so that means I'm gonna go blind do you know that that kind of way which is completely irrational yeah I'll sometimes be like I'm high and I've trained legs I might as well have not gone to the gym (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly exactly but I think if you can flip that perspective and it's not an easy thing to do it takes a lot of work and it takes practice and much like even just going to the gym like you have to actually put in the reps mentally to deal with your diabetes on a consistent basis absolutely yeah it's anything in life it's not it's not just going to happen for you have to work at it and I think that's overwhelming for people because there is no other option really when it comes to diabetes because you there's no getting away from it but something I like to remind myself of and clients is that in order to have ultimate control over your diabetes that's not a number that's not 100% or 90% time and range that is a feeling because Mm. you're not going to be able to sustain those numbers forever so if you can feel in control that's what true control of 
diabetes actually is. 100%. And I always look at, and even what I say to myself, and I'm sure you're probably the same, Tal, specifically in relation to diabetes, it's not what does success with diabetes for me look like? I say to myself, what does success with diabetes feel like? Yes. Because like you say yourself, I'm never going to be 100% time and range all the time. And if I expect that, then I'm just setting myself up for stress and frustration and overwhelm. But if I can feel confident, comfortable, in control, regardless of how my bloods are behaving, yeah, then that's the ultimate success. Exactly, exactly. A million percent. It's, um, it's a hard kind of place to find I think but once you get there you just feel so much more at peace with everything with regards to your management in terms of your clients and obviously the people that you work with and I've obviously seen so many of your results which are phenomenal and it's it's unreal to see what what do you feel Tal is like the most common part of diabetes that people struggle with initially when they come to you I think with the almost like my audience on Instagram, a lot of what comes through or what seems to come through is people having this preconceived idea that's almost being taught to them through even healthcare teams, endo saying stupid things about insulin and like uh, how it's going to hinder them and cause issues with changing their body composition whether that's building muscle or losing weight or whatever their goals are is people put this barrier up and almost form this preconceived idea that they're diabetic and so their goals for themselves whether that's with training or their management are limited because they're diabetic so they already believe that they don't have the potential to get where their ideal position is or they don't have the ability to be truly happy with this illness because it's always going to feel how it feels now because of the things that the people that they are putting their most trust into are telling them isn't feasible. And I think that's such a flaw worldwide within healthcare systems for type ones and it doesn't help as well that there's obviously various types of diabetes and there's a lot of stigmas which are attached to just the word diabetes in general so I think that almost enhances it as well and then all of those kind of things combined as well as maybe not feeling confident to speak out about their illness just leaves people feeling very very limited and that is within all areas of what they want to achieve um because of their diabetes so I think once you can show people that you can live whatever life you want it allows them to push past those barriers and actually achieve their potential because the information I guess is out there for everyone when it comes to management, when it comes to training, when it comes to nutrition. But if you are already in a position where you just believe that that's not possible for you because of this illness that you have, that you're always going to have, of course it's going to stop you from 
pushing yourself because a lot of the time as humans we do that to protect ourselves from letting ourselves down so I think it's just (laughs) allowing people to see past that is one of the biggest things you have to do in like the initial stages of working together so how do you and you're again you're spot on in terms of you know that common self-limiting belief that people with diabetes can have um and I'm sure we have both had it ourselves in the past too yeah what sort of I suppose what would my question be like how do you overcome or how do you how do you help somebody overcome that self-limiting belief I think the most important thing is allowing them to like almost (laughs) process or um allowing acknowledging and validating those feelings is a big thing I think because it's almost like especially if you don't know many other type ones you can feel very isolated and alone in those thoughts and feelings so allowing people to offload and really understanding why where that's come from and it's going to be from different places for everyone and depending on how long people have had it as well I think impacts how ingrained those beliefs are into them so every client as you know needs a different journey which is why like as a type one coach you'll agree it's so different to just teaching someone how to lift weights or how to stick to a meal plan or how to figure out what their macro should be because everyone's going to have different barriers that they need to overcome so I think really really truly understanding that client and what they need from you and then tailoring their experience with you as a coach to work through and navigate through those different barriers and those different obstacles so if someone's never been able to lose body fat and they've been told that it's because they're on Nova Rapid (laughs) Of course, part of what your journey together is going to be that you're explaining the actual (laughs) what insulin is and how it's complete and utter bullshit and they've been fobbed off and it's just made that endo's life easier to say that rather than actually helping them. Whereas another diabetic, it might be that they've been told that they're never going to be able to have great management for whatever reason endos like to come up with sometimes. And so it's a case of educating them on the fact that it's not just carbohydrates that are affecting your blood. You're a woman, you have hormones that are changing every single month. So we need to understand that. Or you work shift patterns. So your sleep is going to be affecting what your management looks like or whatever whatever it is whatever the client needs is explaining to them why their goals haven't been able to be met previously and actually being able to physically show them that it's nothing to do with the fact your diabetes yeah it might have had an impact and it might have made things harder for you but there is a workaround for it and I think once they can visualize it and see that it is possible it instills that belief back in themselves and allows you to push forwards with them yeah 100% and I think the most important part to remember about managing your diabetes is the fact that it is so complex like we've touched on in this sorry <laughs> people barged into your into your apartment um, but what we've already touched on around the complexity of it 
you know, and like all these different strategies and routines and things we need to consider. But when you have clarity on all of them, you can lose body fat, you can build muscle, you can be stronger, you can be faster, all these different things. Yeah. And you put up a, an, let's call it an interesting post on Instagram recently about, or I think you were asking the question of, um, quote unquote, interesting things people have been told by their endos. Oh gosh, yeah. And <laughs> I ended up kind of touching on it in a, a recent podcast because I found it fascinating, you know, and obviously even yeah. speaking from my own perspective and speaking from the perspective of people I have spoken to or hearing their stories and their opinions yeah. and their thoughts, it's, it's sometimes difficult for people because there's a clear disconnect between living with diabetes and learning about diabetes. A thousand you know? percent, yeah. So from all of those responses that you were, that you got, how do you think that disconnect could be bridged between us? <laughs> I can't speak on behalf of every single ender and every single healthcare team and every single DSN, but I can speak on a lot of them as I'm sure you can as well. We have so many conversations with people across the globe they experience the same treatment from healthcare teams around the world and they're so unwilling to step away from what their ideology is of diabetes and see that there's a much bigger picture than some studies that were run on Nova Rapid years and years and years ago they that they can't see past it and they're unwilling to listen to the experience of actual diabetics because from what I can gather in most cases or a lot of cases they studied at medical school and they did seven years of studying so they're the experts but they're listening to, or they're not listening to people that are living with this condition and have lived with this condition for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I would argue that two weeks with diabetes teaches you more about the illness than seven years at med school because you're going to be, as an endo or a GP or whatever it is, whoever you see for your diabetes healthcare advice, they spent those seven years covering a plethora of illnesses and issues and things that they're going to have to work with different patients for. So the two modules that they may have spent on diabetes or the two weeks that they may have spent on diabetes is nothing when you compare it to actually living <laughs> with type 1. You can't even compare them. So they, I think it's going to have to be a case of almost this like complex that because they are a doctor they know more and just listening to people that experience with it and whether that's going to have to be bringing more endos in that are type one or changing the way that they learn about diabetes and actually speaking to patients who have got it and being okay with stepping away from carb count ratios one to ten your basal is x y <laughs> don't change it until you next see me it's like well you're not dealing with the shitty bloods 
for three months to six months mm. between the appointments that we're having, which are 10 minutes long and you we have the same conversation every time, you know, like it, it's going to have to be changing the way I think that they approach their learning and their educating and just being open to understanding more. Half of them, you probably have this as well, you'll have clients go into their endo appointment and they'll maybe bring up the fact that they've started splitting their basal and it's like well no you shouldn't be doing that and it's like well okay but when I wasn't splitting my basal my HbA1c was 7.2 and now I'm splitting it is 5.8 so do you want me to stop splitting it and for my A1c to increase like what (laughs) it makes no logical sense just because your book says that you shouldn't split that basal to not split it you know it's Mm. just it's difficult it's really 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 difficult and frustrating yeah i know and i think the word that kind of stands out to me out of what you've just said tal is listening yeah and it stands out because for me i feel as if the the disconnect stems from the fact that there's a complete emotional disconnect yeah and diabetes in my opinion is more mental and emotional than it is physical yeah a thousand percent and it's very very difficult to even begin to comprehend the emotional impact of diabetes if you don't live with diabetes yeah it's impossible it's impossible you could never and i think if people felt heard or people felt as if they were really being listened to, um, then it might be easier to bridge that gap of that disconnect, you know, because I want people to have trust in the people that they need to trust in. Yeah. And I'd love if everybody could go into endo appointments and diabetic appointments and come out feeling, oh my God, I am... I'm set for the next six months. I'm good to go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I think because there is that emotional disconnect, it's 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 difficult to feel, let's, let's say, empowered by those appointments, to of say the course. least. Yeah, people come away feeling worse than they went in a lot of the time mm-hmm. and just frustrated. And it's almost like they have this authoritative figure of themselves in their head so they don't want to almost listen to someone that's not been through med school <laughs> that's the impression i get a lot of the time yeah i know um yeah i've i've, I've felt that a few times myself yeah. um and it's hard as well like you also you probably experience this with clients like i'll have some clients who come with a great a1c but it's the it's almost the result of constant highs and constant lows and it's just Mm. giving them this middle ground. So their endos, every time they go and see them, they're like, no, you're not listening. My levels are awful. Look at my data. I'm going to 17 and I'm going to two every single day. It's just giving you the middle of what my bloods are on a constant daily basis. But because their A1C is great, they're brushed off, you know? And it's like, well, you have to 
again, listen to what these people are telling you just because you're happy with the numbers that you're seeing doesn't reflect how this person's quality of life looks at all. Mm. And they just focus on <laughs> carb counting, HbA1c, and that's <laughs> literally it. <laughs> yeah. And A1c is an, an indication of how things are going. Yeah. But at the very most. I, exactly. The And our time and range, essentially, and our blood fluctuations daily, short term, is what dictates our quality of life. Yeah. You know, our, our mental and physical fluctuations can be reflected by that, too. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that essentially is, in some ways, the flaw of an A1C because it's that average of big highs and big lows. Yeah. And we can be under the impression that, oh, everything's great because our A1C looks good. But we're actually consistently fighting highs and consistently fighting lows. Yeah, definitely. Which which ultimately is what dictates your quality of life each day. Anybody listening, me and you, Tal, know the difference between a day where our bloods are flat compared to a day where they're like up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. down. It's exhausting. It is. It's completely exhausting. And I think a huge issue or a huge part with dealing with that is the unawareness, the sheer like unawareness of general population because you almost feel like, well, I don't really want to complain because people don't get it. So you almost feel like you're a burden or you're annoying people or people think you're over-exaggerating. So a lot of the time you don't feel able to actually say how rough it feels because you think people It'll just be like, ah, whatever. <laughs> it's mm. just a bit of fluctuation in your bloods. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I spoke about it on actually that same podcast when I was kind of touching on these ideas about a guest that we had a while ago. And do you follow her on Instagram? Justine Whitchurch from Australia. I'm not sure. I might do. Anyway, Tal, we had her on the podcast and I was chatting to her and she has, her daughter is type 1 diabetic. Okay. And... I always say that the most intimate relationship somebody can have with diabetes without actually being diabetic is if they have a child who has diabetes because yeah. the vast majority of the responsibility comes down to them. They need to check bloods, take insulin, carb yeah. count, yada, yada, yada. And Absolutely. that's probably the most accurate understanding of diabetes you can get without living with it yourself. Yeah. And one of the questions that I was almost looking forward to asking Justine was when she was then diagnosed herself, I asked her, did her opinion or perspective of diabetes change now that she had it? Cause she was diagnosed, um, I think in her early forties. So relatively wow. late diagnosed with type one Yeah, and without hesitation, she goes a hundred percent. Yeah. She goes, even though my daughter has it and had had it for years and I was I was so involved within her management when I was diagnosed myself everything everything changed because I then I really understood yeah yeah and that to me was like oh my god even having that intimate relationship with diabetes you can't your perspective is completely changed yeah when you get it you still can't know it's yeah. impossible to quantify it. It's like <laughs> you can have the conversation with 
your friends, with your family, with your parents. But unless you actually have to experience it, it's impossible to quantify. And it's the fact that it's, I think that 24 7, 365 thing is what is the most, can be the most overwhelming part of it. Cause it's like you can't even understand what it's like to have this for a day, let alone <laughs> yeah. for the rest of your existence. <laughs> so with that sense of overwhelm yeah right and the fact that like you said yourself tal it's you know 24 7 you never get a break for anybody listening how do you then stay positive with it how do you see it as a fun thing to manage like you explained earlier in the podcast like how do you see your diabetes as something that essentially is a positive part of your life absolutely yeah so with this I think you have to almost (laughs) lean into or train yourself to look at it as a bit of a challenge I think human brains almost wired to enjoy challenges so if you can start to just evaluate all of the data that you can collect and see that as something for you to almost unravel work out um it it makes it feel like a little bit less of a task and more something that you can just you don't even necessarily have to enjoy it It just doesn't have to be something that you think like you roll your eyes out and think like oh this again Mm. um and enjoy the sort of problem solving nature of it as well as this is something I'm probably going to steal from you, but I will credit you every time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, you better credit me anything anything you steal. um, But getting to that point where you have that auto-management because that takes away so much of the overwhelm. Of course, if you sit there and think about it for a while, 24-7-365 is always going to feel overwhelming, but trying not to kind of dwell on that too much and just allowing yourself to manage your diabetes in the way that best suits you and again that's going to look wildly different for everyone everyone needs to approach their management in a different way it's like diet if you can't see yourself following a diet in 12 months time should you really be following that diet no Mm. if you can't see yourself managing your diabetes how you're managing it now in 12 months time should you really be managing your diabetes in that way probably not so it's almost playing around and figuring out what your best style of management feels like but also gives you the results that you want there is that happy middle ground for everyone you just have to spend time working out what that looks like I'm such a numbers person I love data inside and outside of work um I've always done well with numbers so for me utilizing that to help manage my diabetes works really well but for someone who maybe doesn't love making notes and kind of looking at data in the same way that I would it's trying to figure out how you can work around that so it might be instead of kind of focusing on um tracking your bloods as like intricately as someone that does like data might and maybe it's looking at 
five minutes in the evening to spend looking at your graph and what that looks like and highlighting any anomalies. So if you can see, okay, between Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I've peaked at 2 p.m. or between two and four each day, then you can just pick at that and say, okay, well, something obviously needs to change between one and two to fix that two to four slot where I'm going wrong so that it do- it doesn't feel like as much um, you're not putting as much effort into looking at the numbers specifically or kind of just doing a general overview, but that's still going to work because you're still going to be able to see where the changes are happening. And it's just working. Ra- Understand your way of learning and your way of absorbing information and your way of applying information. If you're practical, if you do well reading, if you do well listening, to you implement that into your management and how you learn about your management because it will work in the best way for you. Mm. Absolutely. I love that. And I think the big thing as well to, and what I always kind of quote on the podcast is all type one diabetes is the same. No type one diabetics is the same. Yeah. We have the same condition, but our mindset, our approach, our lifestyle, our circumstance, our environment, even our climate can be completely different. So it's about fitting your management into essentially your your way of living and your life rather than thinking this is the way i have to do it there's no other way around it yeah 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 yeah. there's so many times i've had this conversation either with potential clients or with like friends who are diabetic um and understanding yourself is so important because i know i'll have onboarding call or consultation calls with certain people and I just know we won't work well together because I want all the numbers possible whereas they're not going to be the sort of person that wants to provide me with that information so (laughs) my way of educating them might be better suited to you or Tom or one of the other type one coaches so you have to be very 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 self-aware as a type one in knowing what you're like as a person and what methods are going to work best for you as a diabetic because there's so many different ways to do it it's just figuring out what that is Mm. I think as well for me how I try and kind of pull back the reins from the long-term overwhelm of what diabetes might be for me in 20 or 30 years you know (laughs) is um focusing on the short term and yeah. focusing quite literally on today. Yes. You know, and, and I, I touch on it all the time in this podcast. I touch it on touch on it in Zoom calls and podcasts with the program as well. About how the fact is we actually only have control over this second right now. Yeah. Like we, we can't control anything in 20 years or 30 years. Yeah. But I can control right now the insulin that I take. Do I exercise? Do I drink water? Do I prioritize sleep? All these different things that ultimately benefit our short term, but build a healthy long term. Yeah. So if if we can just highlight and focus on the things essentially that are in our control, then it's not as overwhelming to think of, I have to do this in 10 years. I have to do this in 20 years. This might happen in 30 years. Just strip that all back and look at what's actually in your control right now. Yeah, I love that. Definitely. Yeah, a thousand percent. It's like you can break all your long-term goals into those sort of short-term stepping stone, stepping stone, stepping stone. 
goals that are going to get you to your overall like long-term milestones and that's such a nice way to like you say strip back that overwhelming feeling that you can get sometimes Hmm. right Tal I've had you here for an hour and a half I know you're (laughs) a busy woman and you've, you've plenty of things to do but what I did on a recent guest episode that we had um and I actually really enjoyed it. So I'm going to do it with you too. And basically it's like a quick fire question round, obviously diabetes related. But okay. if you give any interesting answers, which I'm sure you probably will, maybe we can dive into it for an extra couple of minutes. All right. Sound good? Yeah, perfect. Okay. So if you could outsource one aspect of your diabetes management, what would it be and why? Um, I am an absolute control freak. So... <laughs> <laughs> It would be changing my needles on my pens because it's the bane of my existence. Do you change every needle? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I do now because Fred shouts at me if I don't. <laughs> oh, does she? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll be honest with you. I don't change every single one just for what? convenience. <laughs> <laughs> when Fred listens to this, she's going to be on your case. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Fred. I'll start uh, I'll start changing everyone from now on. <laughs> okay so you would you would outsource your needle changing that's fair yeah. i agree <laughs> right food that causes the most havoc on your blood sugar and your strategy to approach it anytime you eat it i would say probably cereal Nightmare. strategy is i take so i always try and add a good source of fat with it and some protein, even if it's protein on the side, just to slow the initial digestion down a little bit. Mm. Take a hefty pre-bolus. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually around double the time that I would normally take, but that's because my usual pre-boluses are quite short. So if you have quite a long pre-bolus anyway, just extend that slightly. And then unless the protein is significantly higher, I, w- I tend not to split it. I split probably 99% of my insulin doses because uh, usually protein is quite high, but with cereal, it's usually 100% up from just a longer pre-bolus and that tends to work quite well. What cereal do you eat? All of it. I love cereal. Okay. <laughs> and do you use just regular milk with it or how? Do, what milk do you use? Um, I use coconut milk. So that is not really because it benefits bloods it's just because i really enjoy the taste but it, it the that's absolutely disgusting by the way coconut milk cereal and coconut milk yeah that is that's disgusting that shut up you sprinkle <laughs> right i'm actually gonna give that a try see what it's like so hefty pre-bolus no split yeah. and potentially include protein to slow down that initial spike yeah or fats like if you can get um either a high fiber cereal work or like um, you know, like I love the crunch nut clusters with, oh, uh, yeah, with like chocolate in. But mm. if you like add some extra nuts into that, just to bump the fats up a little bit, that like can... almonds, walnuts, those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. And it just helps a little bit with slowing down the digestion. I think with the problem with cereal is it just gets into the bloodstream so quickly. Same mm. with like liquid, like smoothies or even uh, shakes, things like that. It's just it hits so quickly, so you just need to make your insulin work at the same time that's actually something that we were covering inside my program recently the difference between a pre-bolus for solid food compared to a a pre-bolus with essentially like liquid food yeah Yeah, it's gonna spike your blood sugar a lot faster so 
inevitably you're going to leave or you're going to require a much longer pre-bolus to accommodate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. Next one. Biggest worry with diabetes and what's something in your control that would help alleviate that worry? My biggest fear with diabetes is the complications, mostly eyesight, I think, because it's probably the most common. Um, in terms of what I do to prevent that, obviously attend regular eye checks, make sure I go to all my screenings and manage my buds in the best way that I can. That's literally all I can do. Try not to think about it too much. The only time I really let myself think about it is when my appointment's coming up. Mm. Um, but yeah, anxiety-induced highs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stress highs. Yep. <laughs> Describe, Tal, your diabetes in three words. Um... Or describe yourself in three words. Because <laughs> they kind of go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. Um, diabetes, I would say complicated, but um, trying to think of a word for like has taught me a lot, you know? In, Enlightening enlightening yeah definitely that's a good one complicated enlightening and i guess intuitive as well i think you have to be so in tune with yourself and your body and mm. your illness yeah that's one that i hear a lot even specifically on this podcast it's like well you're so much more in tune to how your body feels and reacts to things because you're just yeah. paying such close attention to everything Funniest diabetes moment. That's the last one. <laughs> if, if any. I don't actually think, like, there's probably things that have happened that have just not been that significant. Um, it's probably just the, the stupid questions you get when you tell people that are just unaware of what the illness is. And they're like, oh, yeah, my my um, my cat lost her leg to diabetes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you hear all sorts well i suppose that's even the nature of kind of being out there on social media you're, yeah, you're setting yourself up for all sorts of uh questions and messages and these kind of things but I that's had just some functional fitness trainer trying to tell me that the fact that i could reverse my diabetes it's all in my head and i'm limiting myself from being able to reverse my illness and i was like brilliant i'll stop taking me insulin and let's see what happens <laughs> Unreal. And were they sincere? Like, oh, we had a massive argument. It was. A hundred <laughs> oh, years. did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, have you tried to reverse the tap? <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, I exactly. <laughs> right, Tal. As I said, I know you're. A, I know you're a, a busy businesswoman, and you've a lot, a lot of things to do. So I appreciate your time. I've just one more question for you, right? Okay. And actually, you were, I think, one of our first guests on this podcast near two-ish years ago wow. so it's been good to have you on again and i'm sure you may you may have a similar answer to this question but maybe it's a uh, change for you in those two years but if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something what would that be tell um i think for just literally getting me to the point where i'm at right now i would be 
I don't know what I would be or who I would be if <laughs> I didn't have diabetes. Literally every single stepping stone that's led me to the position that I'm in right now, whether that's been positive or negative, has been a direct impact of being type one. So I'm in probably the happiest place I've ever been in my life, mentally, physically, relationships, everything, my business. So yeah, I have a lot to thank for diabetes, oh, I guess. Delighted to hear it. Thank you. <laughs> and um I'm sure to get to that place things haven't been easy. No, definitely not. It's been an absolute roller coaster. <laughs> so, uh, which but which makes it even sweeter that you're at this place right now and it comes down to how resilient you are. I know how incredibly hardworking you are because we've been in touch for years now at this stage yeah, and yeah. you're just constantly on the ball. So you're not in the position that you're in by mistake. So it's great to see. Thank you very much. So Tal, for anybody listening who, for whatever reason, may not be following you or connecting with you, where can they find you online? Um, so my Instagram handle is t one Alia <laughs> T one A L I A, um, and that is pretty. Oh, Patreon as well, where you can um, subscribe to basically more in-depth diabetes content and that is just the same as my Instagram handle um and then if you want to like inquire about coaching or anything like that you can find it all on my Instagram in my bio nice one any links to tell we will have in the description of the episode as well so if you want to check it out go there you can connect with her she will say hi I'm sure she's very friendly as you can tell um (laughs) but Tal as always I appreciate your time and uh, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. And even from my own perspective, any time me and you connect and talk, there's something that I benefit from personally. So I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care. You too. Speak to you soon. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through the Insulone podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier and happier within my type 1% better online program. You can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always... Another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.